Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for part three of He Shall Reign. All right. Well, I want to start this evening by asking a simple question, and that is, don't answer out loud, but that is, who is Jesus? Who is this person that actually turned the world upside down? Who is this person that is so important that all of history is divided by his life, B.C. and A.D.? Who, who is Jesus? And there are so many different opinions. Islam says that Jesus was a miracle worker and a prophet, but he was not the divine, eternal son of God. And not only that, but um, Hinduism says that Jesus was a guru, but he was not the divine son of God. Buddhism says that Jesus was an enlightened teacher, but he was not the divine son of God. Judaism says that Jesus was a misguided prophet, and he certainly was not the divine son of God. The Jehovah Witnesses say that before Jesus came to the earth, he was Michael the archangel. And he certainly was not the eternal divine son of God. He was a God, little g, but not the God. And of course, the Mormons say that Jesus was an exalted pre-existing spirit who was created, but he is not, was not the eternal son of God. Now I could go on and on and on ad nauseum about all the different opinions that people in the world have about the identity of Jesus, but, but here's, here's an idea. If we want to know the truth, why don't we ask Jesus himself? And so one day, Jesus and his disciples went up to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And while they were there, Jesus asked his disciples a very important question. He said, who do people say that I, the son of man, am? Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples said, well, some people say that, you know, you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. By the way, they had their opinions back in the first century as well, like we do today. And then Jesus asked, listen, the most important, anyone could ever ask anybody, the most important question that you can be asked this, this afternoon. He said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And by the way, by the way, listen, don't wait until after you die to answer that question, please. Who do you say that I am? And I love the response given by Peter. Here's what Peter said. You are the Christ the son of the living God. And I'm like, yay, Peter. Man, this is awesome, right? Because so often you stick your foot in your mouth. So often, if you know anything about Peter, if you've read the gospels, you know, the guy was so impetuous. He was always saying the most outlandish things, but yay, Peter, you finally got something right. You got the biggest question that could ever be asked. You got it right. And Peter, uh, uh, Jesus was also excited about Peter's answer because look at what Jesus said to Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of John, for flesh and blood. Everybody say, flesh and blood. 
has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so the world says that Jesus was a prophet, right, or a guru, or an enlightened teacher. They say that he was a misguided rabbi, or Michael the archangel, or a God little g. But I'm here to tell you this evening that all those answers come from flesh and blood. That all those answers come from the fickle, feeble, fallen mind of man. And you and I have a choice. We can either listen to the fickle, feeble, fallen mind of man, or we can look to Christ to find out his true identity. And by the way, all eternity depends on how you answer that question. And so, Jesus was the Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus did not just reveal that, the Father did, did not just reveal that to New Testament guys like Peter. He also revealed it to Old Testament guys like Isaiah. And so Isaiah, if you're new to the Bible, was a powerful prophet. Isaiah would faithfully proclaim the word of God way back in the um, early 8th century and late 7th century B.C. One of his most famous prophecies is our text today. Again, you can either follow, follow along in your Bible or you can check it out on the screen, but let's, let's look at Isaiah 9-6. Okay, so 700 years before Christ was born, this is prophecy. This is not after the fact. This is before the fact. And again, if you're new to the Bible, that's what makes this book so special. Listen, no other religious book has fulfilled prophecies. That's how you know this is God's word, because there's hundreds, not one or two, hundreds of prophecies that were given that have already been literally fulfilled in history. And so one of those prophecies, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a, what's the word? Is born. And unto us a, what? And the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, I'm a big guy on context. Because what I, what I see the trend in a lot of American churches is that people like to pull a verse out of the Bible and then preach something that it's not even about. And so we're very careful at Calvary, Poor St. Lucie and other Calvary chapels around the world. We're very careful to teach verse by verse and keep the verses in their context. And so what you need to know if we're gonna interpret that correctly is what is the context of that verse in order to find out who was the child. Okay, and so in the context, if you read a few verses before, what you'll discover is that God had a special blessing for the northern part of Israel, specifically that part around the Sea of Galilee. If you remember the, 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 the tribes of Israel and how they were given certain plots of land um, back in the time of Joshua and, and the conquest of, of, of Canaan, you remember that um, Zebulun and Naphtali had a northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. That was the same area, by the way, that the Assyrian Empire absolutely destroyed and devastated when they came in and conquered Israel back between 740 and 722 B.C., but that same area, listen, that same area in the northern part of Israel that has seen so much devastation and so much destruction and so much heartache, that same area would one day see a great light 
And so if you have your Bibles, you can look at um, the end of verse one and verse two. Here's the context in order to find out who the child is. Look at the very end of verse one. He says, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people, verse two, who once walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Guess what? In Matthew, New Testament, chapter four, verse 16, Matthew goes back and grabs that prophecy about how the people up around the Sea of Galilee have seen a great light, and he applied it to the ministry of Jesus Christ. So in the context, who's the child? You guys shout out his name like you mean it, go ahead. His name is Jesus. Do it again. Go. One more time like you mean it. Go ahead. Right? That's why we're here, right? That's what Christmas is all about, right? It's about Jesus. In the context, he's the child. And so the phrase, unto us a child is born, speaks of his humanity. And the phrase, unto us a son is given, speaks of his divinity. Jesus Christ was 100% man, and he was 100% God. It's called the incarnation. When he stepped out of eternity and came to this world, he did not cease to be God. He added humanity to his deity. He's from eternity. And so when Gabriel told Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah, Of course, we saw this last Sunday. She said, well, how am I gonna do that? I've never known a man. And Gabriel, the angel, said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Remember from last Sunday, overshadow speaks of the Shekinah glory of God enveloping Mary. And then he said, and the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now listen, this is the miracle of Christmas. It's not about Santa Claus, okay? It's not about reindeers. It's not about all of that. It's about this. The third person of the Trinity, he's called the eternal Holy Spirit, took the divine seed of the second person of the Trinity. He is the eternal Son of God, and he implanted it into the womb of a virgin. And so Jesus, was not created. He's the eternal son of God. And the fact that the eternal son of God would step out of eternity and enter our world through the womb of a virgin is absolutely stunning. So why did he come? Why did this Jesus come? Here's why. He came to redeem and to restore all things. Notice the second half of the verse and the government will be upon his shoulder. And so one of the things that he is going to redeem and restore is the government. Now, check this out. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six a, that, that's, that verse right there on your screen, it can be divided into two parts, all right? So look at the first part. The first part says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. You need to know that that part has already been fulfilled literally in history. It's why we're here today celebrating Christmas, because the Christ child has been born, because the Son of God has been given. 
But let me share something with you that's even more exciting to me. And that is this, if the first half of the verse has literally been fulfilled in history, that means the second half of the verse will literally be fulfilled in history. That's exciting. That's exciting if you're discouraged today. That's exciting if you're down today. That's exciting if you feel lonely or hopeless today because the future of the Christian, the future of the follower of Christ is that the second half of the verse still has to be fulfilled. And that means that one day the government will be upon his shoulders. Question, is the government on his shoulders right now, the government of our world right now? Have you watched the news? Of course not. Right now in the halls of Washington and Beijing and Tokyo, and Berlin and London and Paris and Rome and Rio and New Delhi and Moscow, the capital or important cities of the 10 strongest nations, prominent nations in the world, right now in the halls of those capitals, Jesus Christ is totally ignored but one day he's gonna return and then the government will be on his shoulders. I'm gonna come back to that idea here in a moment, but, but check out your next verse in Isaiah 9. Actually, it's the second half of verse six. Okay, so we're just going along, line upon line. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, and so, man, isn't that an awesome promise, by the way? Amen. So when the Lord comes back, okay, He is going to exercise His rule over our planet, because remember, He is going to come back. The government will be on His shoulders. It's not allegorical, it's literal. Okay, so when He comes back, He's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. Why? Because He will be the king and he will execute his leadership with great prudence and wisdom. The nations will flow to him to receive counsel and wisdom from the Lord. Not only that, when he comes back, everybody that's living on planet earth at that time is gonna know that the one reigning from Jerusalem is not just a man, he is absolutely divine and so he will be called the mighty God. He is the mighty God, by the way. By the way, that's in the Old Testament, not the New. When he comes back, um, he is going to exercise such fatherly love over the people of the world, protecting them, caring for them, providing for them, things that we wish our government would do for us now, right? He's gonna absolutely do that. He's gonna be called the everlasting father. And when he comes back, his global reign is finally gonna usher in a universal peace. There will be absolute peace on this planet. You know, sometimes people say, well, we should, as Christians, we should be praying for world peace. Did you guys know that I do not pray for world peace? You say, what? How can you not pray for world peace? Because I know as long as the people of our world in are, are in rebellion to their creator, there can be no peace. The people of the world are not submitted to the God who created them. So of course there's not going to be any peace in the world. And if there is for a little while, it's, it's a false peace. But when Jesus comes back, 
He's gonna usher in a universal global peace unlike anything we've ever seen since the Garden of Eden. Now the good news this afternoon is that you don't have to wait till he comes back in order to receive the benefits from his name. You can receive the benefits from his name today. If you know him, if you're walking with him, and so if you know him and you're walking with him, he can be your wonderful counselor today. He can give you such amazing counsel, wise counsel from his word if we would just meditate upon it day and night. And not only that, man, he can be your mighty God today. He can show himself strong in your life today if you will just step out and dare to trust him. You gotta step out, you gotta dare to trust him. You gotta let him into your life. You gotta let him into your life and don't just make a little bit of room in your heart for the Lord. No, he's gotta come in and he's gotta take over your life in order for you to receive the benefits of his name today. Not only that, you don't have to wait till a second coming. He can be your everlasting father today. He can provide for you and protect you and take care of you if you'll just put him first in your life. And of course, he can be your prince of peace in this hectic season of December when everybody's running around like the chickens with their head cut off and, and it's do, 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 and there's pressure, pressure, pressure. Man, if we would just make time in our schedule. I know we don't have any time. This week has been absolutely nutso for my wife and I. Nutso, crazy. I was up to 11 o'clock last night finishing the rough draft for Sunday's message because there's just so much going on. And so, but, but here's the thing, when it's so, 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 so busy, here's what you gotta do. You gotta just drop everything and saying, I'm gonna go have a meeting with Jesus. <laughs> everything else can just keep on going, but I'm gonna go spend time with the Lord. And as you do that, he'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I was sitting on my back porch the other night Stars were out, looking up at the stars, and the Spirit of God moved in my heart, and it just, it never gets old, ladies and gentlemen. You guys who know the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. When he moves in your heart, it just like, it just grabs you, and you realize that we are such a small little part of this universe, but he is such a big God, and thank you that this big God so loves us and so spread out his grace upon us that he would commune with us. Praise the Lord for that. Are you making time for the place of prayer? Look at your next verse in verse seven. We're just going verse by verse, right? Okay, here's the next verse. Of the increase of his, what's the word? And peace, there will be no end. This is good news. Upon the throne of who? And over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. When Christ returns to reign, you gotta understand something. He's gonna sit on the throne of David. Now, it's so sad, the vast majority of churches have no clue about what I'm talking about right now, but it just comes straight from the Bible. When he comes back, he's gonna sit on the throne of David. Now don't turn there, I'll just tell you the story. But back in 2 Samuel chapter seven, 10th century BC, King David was feeling guilty. The reason he was feeling guilty is because he lived in this palatial palace 
this big, beautiful home made out of cedar, and the Ark of the Covenant, you guys remember that? Did anybody watch Indiana Jones? Remember the Ark of the Covenant, okay? (laughs) The Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God dwelt in between the cherubim above the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant was still in a simple tent. It had been in a simple tent since the time of Moses some 400 years before David. David was feeling guilty, so he called Nathan the prophet. He said, Nathan, I wanna share with you something in my heart. My desire is to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant. My desire is to build a big, beautiful house, a temple for the Ark of God. And so that night, the word of God came to Nathan the prophet concerning this desire that David had in his heart. And the message, listen, the message that God had for David through Nathan was absolutely astounding. Through Nathan, God told David that no, you're not gonna build for me a temple. That honor's gonna be later for your son Solomon. He's the one that's gonna build the temple. But what you have to understand is that God was touched. How many of you guys understand that God can be touched? God was touched by the desire in David's heart. And here's what he said in essence to David. David, so you wanna build me a house? No, but I'm gonna build you a house. I'm gonna build you a house. Now check out what God said to David. 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom shall be established, how long? Forever before you. Your throne will be established for how long? Forever. Forever. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not allegorical. You don't interpret that symbolically. That's to be interpreted literally. That's a promise of God to King David. Who are the people that King David ruled over? They're called the Jews. By the way, have you noticed anti-Semitism is growing in our world once again? It's like we haven't learned our lesson from the 1930s. It's growing once again. But here's what you gotta understand, that a lot of that hatred, it comes from a dark place. It's called spiritual warfare. And so the promise of God is that David, your house and your kingdom shall be established before you and your throne shall be established forever. David's house spoke of his dynasty, that through his lineage, the Messiah would one day come. David's kingdom is talking about the Jews. And by the way, God gave the Jews a promised land and according to Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 40, it's their land forever. We can get mad at that, we can cross our arms, we can say that's crazy. Well, it's in the book. And that means it's gonna come true. And then not only that, but David's throne, that's talking about the coming rule of the Messiah. And so, what we gotta understand is that David, man, he was blown away by this response from God. He was staggered him. He couldn't believe that God would say this to him. He couldn't believe, he's like, man, the Messiah is gonna come through my lineage. And he went, and he worshiped the Lord, he talked to the Lord. You can read it later this week about the heartfelt conversation that the man after God's own heart had with the Lord. Now, okay, if you're with me, can you say amen here? Who will this Messiah be? Okay, 
Gabriel told Mary in Luke chapter one. Check it out. Speaking of Mary's son, who she was getting ready to be pregnant with, Gabriel said, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father who? Say it out loud. David. David. There it is again in the New Testament. The throne of his father David, and he will reign. That's our theme for the whole month. He shall reign, right? Over the house of who? Help me out. Jacob, that's Israel, forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so right now, Jesus sits on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God, but that is not the throne of David. Because one day he will return, and when he returns, he will sit on the throne of Israel, and he will reign first for a thousand years, and then forevermore. I'm just wondering, are you excited about that day that's coming someday? This is our hope. This is our hope for the future, our sure hope for the future. And so, I know some people out there right now, you're thinking, but, but Pastor Mike, don't you realize Israel rejects Jesus as their Messiah? They do now. But at the end of the tribulation, anybody ever heard of that? Revelation 6 through 19? It's gonna take a tribulation to get the Jews' attention. And by the way, when I say the Jews, I'm saying all Jews. There's thousands of Messianic Jews who've given their life to Jesus Christ. When I say the Jews, I'm speaking of Israel as a nation. And so at the end of the tribulation, listen, when all the armies of the world are marching toward Jerusalem in order to wipe Israel off the face of the map, have you ever heard that in the news? At that moment, something glorious and something wonderful is gonna happen, and I thought it'd be cool to share it with you from the Old Testament. Here's a prophecy from the sixth century BC. Zechariah says, it shall be in that day, God says, that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against who? Come into a theater near you. <laughs> Pastor Mike, this is Christmas. It's about a tiny baby. It's supposed to be all peace and love and joy. Well, that's part of the story but it's incumbent upon me as your pastor to give you the rest of the story. And so it shall be in that day, God says, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour on the house of who? Help me out. And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, isn't God great? The spirit of grace and supplication. Pastor Mike, the, the, Israel rejects Jesus now. They do now, but in that day, <laughs> As the armies of the world are marching towards Jerusalem to wipe Israel off the face of the map, God in his grace and his sovereignty is gonna pour out the spirit of grace and supplication and then they, the Jews, will look on me, that's Jesus, whom they, what's the word? Pierced, Pierce. that's the sixth century BC. You see how awesome the Bible is? It's not some fairy tale book that you can disregard and live your own life however you want to live it. This is the very word of God, substantiated by fulfilled prophecy, 6th century BC. They're going to look at him whom they pierced, and they will mourn. It's a mourning of repentance for him as one who mourns for his only son. 
And so at the battle of Armageddon, which is talked about in Revelation 16 and Revelation 19, Jesus is going to return to the earth and he will rescue Israel from all her enemies. And at that moment, the nation of Israel, it's finally gonna dawn upon him, on them, right? Check it out, can you guys imagine this? Battle of Armageddon, if you go with us to Israel in 15 months, I will take you to Mount Carmel and we'll stand and we'll look at Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, where all this is gonna take place and we'll talk about these things. And so there's the nation of Israel and then that day when all the armies are coming against them and they're gonna look up and the sky is gonna split open and Messiah is coming back and they're gonna say, it's Jesus, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus of all people, the, ones who, the one who our leaders pierced 2,000 years ago and crucified, he's our rescuer, he's our Messiah. Look at him now, I can see him. Go Jesus, you get him, yeah! Woo, that's awesome! Yes, I receive you. Yes, I accept you. They're gonna be so stoked and guess what? Romans eleven twenty six says, in that day, they're gonna put their trust in Jesus. And it says, and I quote, all Israel shall be saved. Why? Because of the grace of our loving God. That's why, that's why. And so when Christ comes, he's gonna crush his enemies. He's gonna set up his kingdom. That's the rest of the story. But here's the rest, rest of the story. At that moment, he's gonna set up his kingdom and there'll be an age of peace unlike, as I said earlier, the world has never seen since the Garden of Eden. I wanna to read to you Isaiah 11 from the New Living um, Translation. Isaiah chapter 11. The Bible prophesies about this age of the Messiah that's coming to us in the future. Listen to this. A shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch will bear fruit from his roots. Speaking about how Jesus came from David. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, at the risk of being weird, I'm gonna ask everybody to just close your eyes and listen to this, okay? I want you to picture the future. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion will graze together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the snake den. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And I love this, you guys can look at me here. Listen to this. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Are you discouraged this afternoon? Are you down? Has something got you troubled? 
what I want to encourage you is to fix your eyes on Jesus and his coming kingdom. Here's what you need to know. The first time he came as a tiny little baby. And you know what? The majority of our world wishes that he would just stay like that. Just a little tiny baby. So you can't do anything in my life. Because here's what I want to do. I want to live my life how I want to live my life. So just be a little tiny baby and everything will be fine. But guess what? Even though the first time he came as a little tiny baby, the second time he's coming as a great king and he shall reign. Are you ready for his coming? Listen, are you ready for his kingdom? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.